Well, good morning. Yeah, Arthur Chapman, yes, from uh, Lim Baptist Church. Thank you for having me back again. <laughs> I've spoken uh, before here about my uh, work with Prisms Ministry and also with the, uh, the Gideons. But I'm not, uh, I'm not speaking about those today. But if, you, if you'd like to just catch up with where I'm up to when we have a cup of tea later, I'd be glad to, uh, to, to bring you up to date. <clears throat> Yeah, and also I just want to encourage you in this period of interregnum, <clears throat> now that Sally and Andrew have moved on, we went through a similar thing at Lim Baptist Church. Um, our pastor, Chris Newton, who'd served us faithfully for 20 years, uh, retired April 2014. So we went into this same process that you're going through, and um, our new pastor, Jonathan, and his wife, Claire, came to join us in September last year, and they settled in very well. But during that period of interregnum, um, it was a good time of growth for the church, and the gifts of folk within the church were encouraged, and people who wouldn't normally preach shared the word, and um, yeah, it was a really encouraging time. I'd inc- so, you know, I wouldn't look at it as a, you know, in a negative way. It is an opportunity to... Uh, encourage the gifts of you guys within the fellowship here. I remember one of the visiting speakers we had um, middle of last year, I don't know whether any of you are familiar with Cape and Ray Bible College, but the principal there, Rob Whitaker, came and uh, shared. And um, I was just pinched a little bit of his sermon, actually, but just the starting point anyway. But he, he challenged us to come up with a one word to describe God, a word that encapsulates all his qualities and attributes. It can be a noun, it can be a verb, it can be a name, it can be an adjective, pronoun, whatever you like. Just leave you just to think on that for a short time, but <clears throat> just want to think now about a, a little story I saw in the uh, one of the da- daily Bible reading notes, and it was a uh, this guy on a train in a very run-down area over in the States of a city, he's um, traveling in on the train. He kept saying, wow, wow, that's amazing, wow. You could even say it backwards, wow, <laughs> really. And there's a little old lady sat next to him. And she was looking out and she just saw this run-down area and she said, why are you saying that? It just looks horrible to me. He said, well, I've just recently had a, a double corneal uh, transplant. And I praise God for the skill of the surgeons and for the, the donor. But now I can just see, and it's wonderful. Wow. Everything's wonderful. So, question this morning, what eyes are you looking at God through? Have you come up with a word to describe God? Any suggestions? Well, one that often came up from our congregation was love. God is love. Uh, John, in his letter, says God is love. But, you know, what the heck is love, really? How Love. I mean, I love licorice all sorts. I love Janet's cheese on toast, which I enjoyed for my lunch on Friday at the Sanctuary Cafe. Mm, Beautiful. 
I love Manchester United. I love my wife. It's not necessarily in that order, by the way. No, United. No, sorry. No, no, no. No. (laughs) What eyes are we looking at uh, Jesus through? Love doesn't really do the job. Sovereign was another suggestion. But our queen, she's sovereign. But she hasn't really got total authority over her, um, you know, us as her, what do you call it? (laughs) Well, you know what I mean. Love doesn't really um, cope cope with it, though. You, You know, the word for love in the Bible... Do you know when, it was fir- when it's first mentioned in the Bible? You have to read through 21 chapters of Genesis before you come to the word love at the start of chapter 22. And it's the story of Abraham when God says to Abraham, take your son Isaac, whom you love, to sacrifice him. That's the first time that love's mentioned in the Old Testament you fast forward to the New Testament, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the first time that the word love's mentioned, it's the same incident. It's when Jesus is baptized by John, and he comes out of the water, and that voice from heaven says, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Again, it's the love of a father for his son. You look at John's Gospel, though, the first time it's mentioned. Isn't that wonderful verse that encapsulates the whole Gospel message? John 3.16. And said, For God so loved you and me that he gave this precious Son whom he loved, he gave him to be a sacrifice on the cross of Calvary for you and for me. That was the, 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 the first time that love's used in John's Gospel. Now, there's only actually one answer Rob Whitaker suggested to that question, one word to encapsulate everything about God, and that one word is Jesus. Jesus. And he gave us three verses to support that. The first one was John 1.18. No one has ever seen God, but the only begotten Son, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. John is affirming here that if you've seen Jesus, you've seen God. The second one was Hebrew. The Son is the radiance of the God's glory and the exact representation of his being. The, word, the Greek word used there, exact representation of his being, means the, the very nature and essence and fundamental truths of God are revealed in Jesus. But it's the third verse that we'll be uh, focusing in on this morning. Um, it's Colossians 1.15. And uh, we, we're going to look at the passage uh, starting with... Uh, through to verse 23 of Colossians in a minute. Just to finish off where Rob was going with this, though, he went on to expand his main point that how you view, the, uh, view God 
depends on many factors, um, which he summarizes our world view. What eyes that you see God through. As I say, I'm focusing today not on Gideon's, not on uh, prison ministry, but on the supremacy of Christ. So I'm going to read now Colossians um, chapter 1 and verses 15 to 23. My Bible's NIV, I'm not sure which one you use, but NIV. The supremacy of Christ is headed. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truths that it contains. We pray, Lord, that today as we look at this passage, you'll just open the eyes of our hearts to see those wonderful truths and just take them on board and apply them to our own lives. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Paul starts his letter to the church at Colossae by saying that he doesn't cease from praying that they will be filled with all spiritual knowledge and understanding. Why? To lead a life worthy of the Lord. And he then proceeds to explain his understanding of exactly who Jesus is. Just a little context though. The church at Colossae was coming under attack from different groups. You had what would later become known as Gnosticism. And one of their beliefs was that Jesus was not God, but was himself a created being. You know, whether it's 2,000 years ago or today, the enemy, if he's to be successful, always tries to undermine the foundation. And that foundation is the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so it is today. He's still at it. The father of all lies infects different religions and cults with false teaching concerning Jesus. 
In Colossians, which is probably the the most Christ-centered book in the Bible, Paul focuses greatly on the person and work of Jesus Christ. Firstly, to dispel the false teaching, and secondly, to emphasize the glorious truth. Jesus was and is wholly human and wholly divine. Jesus is God. We have the first slide, please. And then the first subsection. So first of all, verse 15, he's the image of the invisible God. When we see Jesus, we see God. When we understand Jesus, we understand the character of God. To be like God, we need to become more like Jesus, more Christ-like. Note, is the image, not an image, not one of many images, is the image. The Greek word is icon. You probably looked at an icon this morning as you stared in the mirror to shave men or ladies to do your hair, whatever, brush your hair, apply your makeup. Now, you may not be delighted in what you saw in the mirror, but it's an exact image, unless it's one of those fancy shaving mirrors that convex are we yeah you know Marilyn and I were getting ready to go out the other night and uh, I was feeling a little bit upset with things and uh, looking in the mirror there and I said oh Marilyn I said look at look at my hair where's it all gone you know and it used to be brown and now it's mostly gray and I said look, look at these bags under my eyes they seem to get bigger every day and I'm side I look at I said more chins than the Hong Kong telephone directory <laughs> I said, darling, have you got a word of encouragement for me before we go out? She said, well, love, she said, at least there's nothing wrong with your eyesight. (laughs) You can take the girl out of Yorkshire. The most important question that anyone can ask and explore is who is Jesus Christ? So much rides on knowing the answer to that question. Jesus himself, when he walked on this earth, he turned to his disciples at one point and he said, who do you say I am? It's a critical question. And he sometimes had quite a hard time getting his disciples to, uh, to get it, to understand it. One example from the book of John, just after he's declared, I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus said, verse 7 of chapter 14, If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him, and you've seen him. It's the Father living in me who's doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. So we no longer need to be in any confusion about this. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. He who has seen me has seen the Father, Jesus said. He was and is God in the flesh. And he's the firstborn of all creation. Firstborn, not first created. 
some cults like the JWs try to use this verse to mean first created. But that's a different Greek word, and it isn't what Paul's saying. While the term is used in the Bible literally sometimes of those that are born first, it's also used to represent a preeminent position. For example, Israel is a nation. It's called the firstborn in the Old Testament. That's in Exodus 4.22. In Psalm 89.27. Neither was actually born first. David was the youngest in his family, but both Israel as a nation and King David were called the firstborn because of their position and ranking God. They were exalted and given the rights and privilege before God that the firstborn had. So this verse tells us that Jesus is the chief, the master, the head over all creation. And you know there's a pretty good reason for that. Because he created it all. Second slide, please come. All things were created through him and for him. Verse 16. This is a star simple theology. He is the God of all things. There's no sacred, secular divide. Jesus is Lord of all. You know, we live in an age when most folk don't know who the Creator is. In fact, many don't even know if there is a Creator. They can see a creation, but they don't want to submit to a Creator. They can see evidence of design everywhere, but they don't want to acknowledge a designer. You know, maybe it all just sort of happened, or all just came about by chance, or mutations, random processes, billions and billions of years of time. And society tells our kids that the world is this product of random force and chance, that they really just are evolved animals, and when they die, they just go back into the dirt. You know, you meditate on that long enough and it's enough to create an upside-down smile even on the happiest person. So don't do it. Rather, meditate on what God says. Listen to King David in Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night and, uh, or listen to Job. will teach you. Or the birds of the air. Sorry, this is God speaking in the book of Job. Ask the animals and they will teach you. Or the birds of the air and they will tell you. The evidence is there in creation. And it doesn't matter what you're looking at, whether it's the heavens, the animals, the birds, the air, trees or seeds. It doesn't matter what you look at. There's wonder and majesty in all of it. There is a design and there is a designer. And Jesus, Paul tells us, is the one who created it. John said it like this at the start of his gospel. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, 
and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Colossians 1.16, as we, we see, all things were created. By him, all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, things in, uh, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. And that, my friends, includes you. You were made by him, you were made for him. You were created to be in a relationship with Jesus Christ and to find your purpose and joy in him. Is that the place that he holds in your life this morning? Thirdly, he's the head of the body, the church, verse 18. Jesus is the brains of the church and everything is controlled through the head. The body responds to instructions from the head. He has all authority over his church. But do we actually allow him to exercise that authority within the church? When you think of all the wonders of God in creation, it's somewhat staggering to realize that none of what we have been talking about is actually his greatest wonder. As marvelous as that first creation is, God's plan and purpose doesn't lie there. It says here that he, Jesus, is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. In other words, through the resurrection, he began something entirely new, and that is the new creation. The first creation didn't cost Jesus anything. He just spoke into being. Let there be light, and there was light. The new creation, however, well, that cost Jesus his life. The first creation started with heaven and earth. Mankind wasn't created till the sixth day. In the new creation, the order's reversed. He began with mankind, and Scripture tells us that he will later create a whole new heaven and earth. And when Christ returns to take his bride, his body, us, the church, out of this world, then our physical body that was sown in corruption, as wonderful as it is, will be raised and changed, and we shall be like him. Finally, the new creation that started within, with the spirit, will be manifested outwardly through the body. Fourth slide, please. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. <clears throat> Jesus is fully divine and fully God. About 30 years after his death, Paul here is writing to this church at Colossae. And he asserts that this rabbi from Nazareth, who was nailed to a cross, is God himself, God with skin on. He's so much more than a good man or a moral leader or a teacher. He was and is God. And that is the true wonder of God, that man, though fallen, desperately wicked, and an enemy of God, could 
through the work of the cross and the shed blood of Jesus be reconciled to God and be found holy without blemish and free from accusation. Spurgeon said, Creation and providence are but the whisper of his power, but redemption is its music and praise is the echo which shall yet fill his temple. I focus more today on the aspects of his physical creation because we can more readily get grasp that. We can get hard, our heads round some of the things, uh, these things, the tangible. But I totally agree with Spurgeon. These things, as, as mind-boggling as they are, are only but a small whisper of his power. The real miracle and wonder of God is the miracle of new birth. So whatever work of Jesus that you take the time to study, that will be a wonder all of itself. But none of it comes close to what God has done in the heart of man. Study that work and you'll find it perfect as well and miraculous. One day we will know fully. One day we will see all that God did to draw you and change your heart. We'll grasp it all. We only see dimly today. One day we'll see and even know as we are seen and known. And so the conclusion. Last slide, please. You're ahead of me there, Colin. Thank you. There's a key verse in this passage that I've not really focused on yet, but it needs to be mentioned because it sums up the entire passage, basically. And it's this. In the NIV, it says, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Some versions say that he should come to have first place in everything. I like both of those translations. He should have first place in everything. We've seen that Jesus is preeminent because of his unique person. There's no one else like Jesus. He's preeminent because of his role as creator of heaven and earth and all it contains, because he made it all. He's preeminent because he's the beginning of a new creation. Death could not hold him down. And all these things are pointed out by the Apostle Paul so that he should come to have first place in everything. And that includes you and your life. So that's why I've tried to focus our thoughts this morning upon the wonderful person of Jesus Christ and his position in your life. That's the goal of all these things, that he will take his rightful places, be first place, in all things at the end of the age when he returns as king of kings but in this age today he desires and he deserves his rightful place as the king of your heart so friends my prayer this morning is may it be so Amen, Amen. let's just pray
Lord, we do thank you for your word to us this morning and just pray that uh, by your spirit you'll help us just to apply it to our hearts, to our minds, to our lives. And in all these things, may you be glorified, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>